Good morning. Is that confusing enough? Nice. Any nonlinear people here going, I don't know where we're going with that. Um, how many people watch Grey's Anatomy? Like, there, there's like a fearful confession of that, isn't there? This has nothing to do with that, by the way. It's just a clever title. Um, somebody was coming in saying, I'm so excited what we're going to talk about with Grey's Anatomy. No, it's Grace Anatomy. Uh, this last Easter, just a couple thoughts, we had uh, 2,600 at services this uh, last weekend for Easter, uh, 61 baptisms, by the way, of people professing faith, yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Uh, it was about 30 decisions for Christ, and so we love uh, that holiday, we love uh, that in, in our Christmas holiday services tend to be largely attractional. That means people come out from families or they're once or twice a year they attend. But every chance we get to share the hope of Christ there and uh, to see that kind of response, pretty powerful. We wanted to start, though, a series that uh, would not only relate to those of us who have been on our faith journey for some time, but also for people who are new. And that's what, as Bobby had mentioned, got us into this conversation about grace. Uh, grace is a word that's thrown around quite a bit in our Christian culture, and so we'll say things like, let's give someone some grace, has a little bit more to do with like uh, tolerance, you know, grace might mean in that definition, I'm going to tolerate kind of the, the bonehead, and so I'm going to give them grace. Not that you are or I am, but I'm just saying, that's kind of how we view it. Or it's like, I'm going to say grace, you've heard that, right? I'm going to say grace. We wanted to kind of dissect uh, this whole idea of grace and do a better job at looking what does the Bible say grace is. And this morning I'm going to do a little bit of a different kind of a, a way to do that. I'm going to go through Ephesians chapter 2, uh, the first 10 verses, and if you have your Bibles you could turn there this morning. I, I'm going to help you look at really what the passage says, but I also want you to see on ways that we uh, deflect or protect or shield ourselves from the fullness of what God is offering. So I want to do that. Um, we're going to talk for several weeks uh, about this idea of grace. Uh, Trisha next week is going to talk about grace given, the potential we have to give grace. So let me start off by saying impossible for us to muster up grace. You and I both do not have the potential to give grace to another person until we have received grace from God. And so this morning we're going to focus on what does it mean to have grace received? Grace received to you or by you from God himself. And that's what we really want to wrestle with this morning. And we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 2. But just a couple thoughts about grace. Um, first, grace, a definition for grace, the unmerited favor of God. Let me just say that again, because many of you have come from faith uh, denominations or streams or however you want to call it, church experience, that your idea of grace is because you've earned a part of it. It's the idea that you think you've walked in because you've cleaned yourself up a bit and so you deserve something. No, grace, biblically defined, is the unmerited favor of God. That means you deserve none of it. Yesterday or I'm sorry, two nights ago, I had the chance to go to the St. Norbert Norby's Awards. It's the second annual. It's, 
It's awards for the athletes, and it's a collection of all of them, all these athletes and coaches. And so I got to speak for about 15 minutes before that and motivate them and tell them how deserving they were of some of the awards they were going to receive. Because it's true, right? We're in there because they have accomplished something. They have merited uh, an award. This morning, we're talking about grace. You have to recognize, first of all, that grace's definition is you cannot do anything for it. It was unmerited, undeserved, and yet God gives it. That's our first principle that we need to understand about grace. The second, because of that, grace is not regulated. Um, it's not something you can regulate. So I'm, I'm getting into a little bit of what we're going to talk about next week, but just to, to kind of give you a precursor to understand grace and to kind of do a little bit of an anatomy lesson on it. When I receive the grace of God, it is impossible for me, we're going to find out, that we are, we're conduits. We are, our faith becomes by which grace passes through our lives. It comes through our lives. You don't have a regulator on that. When grace appropriately received from the Father, it, it flows out of a life. It begins to pour out in a life. And that's why even this chalkboard video, that you aren't worried about works. See, if received grace comes into your life, your life just flows giving out grace. It flows giving forgiveness. It starts to produce the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these these great uh, character traits of someone who has fully received grace. You can't regulate it. Therefore, it's not, I'll give some grace to somebody. You see, in our definition, in our modern culture, that means more like thanking them, tolerating them. No, grace is the outpouring of an unmerited gift to you that you didn't deserve, and you in turn begin to let that flow through your life. See, a few weeks ago we talked about forgiveness. This is why forgiveness is such a powerful litmus test or gauge on the life of someone who's received grace because in the face of full grace into a life, how could you not? My daughters were telling me on one of their trips when, when someone would begin to complain, they would say, um, meanwhile in Africa. So, you know, they, it's just, a, and I, I thought that was so clever, you know, well, I wish our food was warmer. Meanwhile, in Africa, and it's boom, it shuts up the room. I mean, say that next time. And I thought, when you have re received grace, it's not meanwhile in Africa, it's meanwhile in heaven. Meanwhile in heaven, they rejoice over the lostness of your life that you were given unmerited favor. Meanwhile in heaven. I thought, that's a great reminder, and it's easier for me to forgive. It's not regulated. Grace is not an idea. So grace isn't this little concept that we can come up with and let's just be more graceful. I mean, graceful is a little bit different, but we don't muster up grace. And so, in other words, it's not an idea or a concept to be that you have this ability to understand and then you just go do. Because grace is Jesus. You're going to hear all throughout the scripture about the grace given to us. Your Bible, Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, is the story of God's unmerited favor on your life and my life. And that story, the, the fruition or the, 
the, the life that he gives us, this gift he gives us is Jesus. The ultimate, the picture of grace is Jesus himself. And so why do I read my Bible? I don't read my Bible to gain favor or merit with you or with God. I read this story of unmerited love and favor given to me in the picture of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is why Jesus becomes the center of our faith. This is why Easter is so powerful for us. Grace is Jesus himself. So you can even replace at times, just put the word Jesus in there where it says grace. It'll help you understand that grace is a person and it's Jesus. But what is it about us? We, we could come to Christ, it's like we've been given this immeasurable grace and yet we block it. It's as if we have kind of come up with ways to, to guard ourselves. And, and we're going to look in a couple of these passages and it says that his grace is immeasurable. And it's like we, we have come to Christ and we say yes to grace. We know that Jesus came and died so that we would be freed from the penalty of sin, that he rose again. We're, we're freed from the presence of, or power of sin in our life. But sin still exists, and so we have this way that we begin to guard and we shield ourselves. Uh, the passage says it in Hebrews, it says, Now that we know that we have Jesus... Okay, that's most of us in this room that have, have claimed Jesus Christ as the grace that we're going to receive, unmerited. This great high priest with ready access to God, let us not let it slip through our fingers. In other words, he's talking to Christians here saying, don't let the picture and this person of grace, this shower of grace that's come in your life, stop blocking it. Don't, don't, don't miss what he's offering you. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. Friends, the, the scripture and the life of Christ is, is relevant to you and I. It says, he's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, but he did not sin. And this is in the message, so listen how he says it. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. What, what is it about us, though, that we're so fearful of accepting the help. There's something that goes on in, with us in our culture that we fight grace. It's showered upon us and we have this immeasurable blessing that God wants to continually to give us through the person of Jesus, but it's like we, we come to Jesus and we quickly shield ourselves. We, we quickly pull out the umbrellas and shield ourselves from this grace. And I, wanna, I want to address for you in this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, how we can pull this down and begin to be more available for the receiving of the fullness of his grace. Because I believe we block it. I believe we have come up with ways to block that fullness of grace coming to us, showered to us. So bear with me. This will come into a clearer picture. Ephesians chapter 2, the first section is uh, Paul is talking to the Ephesian church. Uh, the church in Ephesus uh, is much like Las Vegas, Amsterdam, uh, I don't know where else, horrible places on earth. Um, some of the most decadent places in the world wouldn't even hold a candle to Ephesus. I'm telling you that because I love that Paul chose those places to go bring the gospel, and he did. 
And it says that in Ephesus that within two years he had discipled hundreds and hundreds of people so much it started to wreck the industry. It would be like moving to Vegas and in two years gambling stopped or was being threatened. Money was starting to, to, you'd be killed in Vegas, wouldn't you? You'd be shot because you wrecked the industry. That's what Paul did. Paul went into Ephesus and wrecked it. He's telling a church, though, that starts, is starting to have an unhealthy theology and understanding about grace and what God gives. And so he says it this way, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your trans, uh, transgressions and sins. In other words, your rebellion and your darkness, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. In other words, he said, we all started in this place. All of us. It says, all of us, verse 3, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and follow its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul is doing this great work that he's done throughout his writings in the New Testament saying, you and I were the same. And that grace came that we might be freed from that place of sin. Friends, we, we have to recognize that this morning, and that's what we talked about at Easter, is that we all, it's why I can sit with someone from, in sitting in a prison cell that is a uh, committed horrible crimes, and when they come to Christ, we came from the same darkness. It's no different. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and by his love he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. So not only does he save us, this grace save us from sin, but grace saved us because of his love. It was his love. This is what he's giving. He's giving us this love gift. And it's because he just gave us this unmerited gift that we've been saved. Here's the problem. The problem is, most of us begin to operate in this, this idea that we're not that bad. Especially when I start talking about prisoners and convicted felons and murderers and all the, all the different things and the unrespectable sins. Can we just say that? There's, we have in this room what we call respectable sins, like, you know, small little things that don't really matter. And we start to, remember, create the pecking order, the, the measuring stick, if you will, of we measure one another and we deceive ourselves and thinking we're not that bad. It's called self-deception. It says an interpersonal process of denying or rationalizing away the relevance, significance, or importance of opposing evidence or logical argument. In other words, the truth. The truth. So there was a study of a thousand people that have scales in their home. Anybody have a scale in their home? Are you embarrassed? It's great to see what you will raise your hand for. No, I don't have one. I don't I don't need one. They did a study, and interesting enough, only there, is, there, there was about 40% of the people that would not use a scale for their own, weighing, their own weight. And when they asked, well, what did you use it for? They said, well, to weigh like luggage, you know, so that it wasn't over the 50 pound and we didn't have to pay. Now, I mean, we know scales... Most, we're not invented for luggage, right? It's so that we can weigh ourselves. Our country suffers from 
probably one of the, the worst dieting habits, and we know that our culture is that way, and we all struggle with that. I do too. I have a scale in my home. When asked why these people don't weigh themselves, they said, I don't want to face the reality of what it's going to tell me I know I'm already at. Think about that for a moment. I've done it. I've walked past the bathroom and thought, nope, not touching it. I know where I was last night. I know what I ate. You know what I mean? It's that sense, and this is a, this is a small picture of self-deception. We, we think by avoiding the truth that it'll just go away. Many people avoid the reality that your heart is dark. And so really when we talk about bringing someone to know, Jesus, to, to know Christ and know about this grace, they first, if, if they're, they're self-deceived, right? I'm not that bad. It's not that bad. And this starts to seep in, even as Christians. When you, we start to walk in the door and we start to deceive ourselves about where we came from. And the nature of what we really are. You see, we will not be freed from the presence of sin until Jesus returns and what? Restores the earth. Removes sin from existence. So therefore, we struggle. But we deceive ourselves we're not that bad. And then it's easier to look at other people and not forgive those people and kind of point fingers and and get onto Facebook and make a lot of great comments about things. You find ourselves doing this as Christians. It reminds me of the story of the, of the frog and the scorpion. It's a parable. It's about this scorpion that's walking along this river and trying to get across this raging river and can't find a way across, can't find any branches or any stones to go across. And so finds this frog. It says, Mr. Frog, would you be so kind to allow me to get on your back and go across the river? Would you get me across the river? And the frog says, what? You're a scorpion. I mean... Aren't, aren't you, that's, I mean, your whole body is shaped like a wicked thing, and you're a stinger, and there's no way. He said, why would I let you do that? You could just kill me. He said, well, that would be foolish, because if I did, I'd drown. We'd both drown. He says, I want to get across. He says, yeah, but what's going to stop you from right before the shore? He says, again, you know, if I, don't, if I don't let you to get across, if I sting you, we'll both die. Sure enough, he gets on his back, and Halfway across, the frog feels the stinger, bam. And all he sees is the scorpion dancing and just laughing and saying, I'm sorry, it's my nature. He says, I can't escape it. It's what I've been built for. And friends, I think what we don't recognize is that we have been born into a sinful world and we deceive ourselves to think that even in our faith that we're so much better off We have an unmerited favor from the Father and we can self-deceive ourselves by shielding ourselves from the fullness of this grace. And what God is asking for us in this section is first, have the courage to face who you really are. Have the courage to face who you really are. When you, for that moment, if you could remember it, you recognized that, that Jesus was offering you something that you did not earn. When you recognized that, and when you are in his grace, there is a sense of exposure about what you really are. That doesn't happen just one time. Friends, in your faith journey, that should be happening a lot. It does for me. It happens when I realize, oh man, again. Mm. 
again. My pride, my lust, my greed, you know, my, my selfishness. It starts to go down the list and you just recognize, I, how do I escape that? And it only, it only will come when Jesus returns, but I recognize and I have to have courage to face where I've come. You can't be a recipient or receive that fullness of grace if you're going to play the self-deception game. You can't. Paul's saying this in the first part of this text. The second part, verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ. This is great purpose for us. God said, it's not just I'm going to give you this unmerited favor. I'm, I have a purpose for you. It says, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. This is a huge line here. This is, this is an amazing passage here, this verse Meaning God has a design not to just give you favor, but to raise us up in order that in the coming ages he might show us this incomparable riches of his grace. Isn't that a great line right there? It's like incomparable. Uh, You can't find the bottom. You can't see the length. You You can't fully ever understand how deep and wide and massive his grace is for you. And isn't those of us who are walking with courage and facing who we are, you start to realize, oh man, that he would give me that favor again. And that he would give it to me again. And that he would give it to me again. And again. And you start to feel that sense of purpose. And he says, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus gives us this purpose. Tozer says it this way, the reason why many people are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves, self-deceived. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. In other words, we want control. This is self-control in the negative sense. We're not only self-deceived, and that's why we don't have the, the fullness of this grace. We're also trying to be in control, in charge. We want to be in charge. And we struggle to fight God in this. And so often I hear people coming to Christ and maybe beginning that faith journey with a lot of excitement in the beginning, but then it's like God kind of sits in the back guest room. He said, well, I'm going to let you in there, Jesus, and that's, that's where you're going to be. Don't get into my marriage because you're not relevant or I don't want you to change that. Don't get into me forgiving those people that wronged me. Stay out of that room because you, you don't have a perspective. And your grace is limited for, for them. Don't get into the area of my finances because that really is my security and my small g God. Oh, you're still the big God, but that's, that's one that I don't want you to mess with either. And so what we've done is we have a form of religion We start to just say, God, fit this room of my house, and now I want to be in charge. Let me drive. How do you get free of this? I mean, how do you you find yourself bringing down that umbrella in this? Because this is a tough one. Let me do an exercise with you right now. What What is it that you worry about most? I want you to think about that. What do you worry about most? Is it your health? How long you'll live? Is, is it finances? Will you have enough? 
Is it relationships? Will you ever meet that person where the person that you're with finally leave? What, what, I mean, what is it that you worry about most? He's saying, let go. When we talk about this idea of, of, of self-control, you have to learn how to surrender. If you want that grace, it's not worrying about tomorrow. Jesus said this. He said, listen, nothing is worth worrying about tomorrow because you're not in charge. You might think you're in control, but you're really not. Because which of you in this room could extend your life, could make sure that you meet that person, could make sure that you have enough money in the bank account? You can't. You can't. And so a surrendered picture of pulling down that is beginning to say, God, I'm going to trust that you know. Now this doesn't mean this irresponsible perspective of like waking up in the morning, all right, God, you're in control. Should I go to work today? Should I go to school today? No. We, we get up every morning and we recognize that God is ultimately in charge and we operate. But we don't worry too far down the road. We start to let him do that. We, we trust that he has the best interest. Even when you've been let go of from your job, you lost that money, you were hurt by somebody else, because you recognize that the creator of the universe could put all things right, no matter how evil the world is. That when people mean for something to be evil, he can make it out for his own good and glory. And you trust that. That, friends, is surrender. Even when you've been wronged. That kind of surrender I don't see often in our culture because we want to right the ship. God must have forgotten this one. He's got so many things he's looking at. He must have missed this one on his radar. Because he couldn't quite possibly want me to go through this struggle right now. God's saying, trust me. And just when you might think uh, it's so bad for you, you don't say, meanwhile in Africa, you say, meanwhile in heaven. Meanwhile in your Bible, and you're reading about the unimaginable pain people journeyed through, and yet God did what? He gave unmerited favor and grace and unmerited love to those people and what glorified himself through their life. This is a tough one. Self-deception and, and learning how to take that courage to face who we are, that's one thing, but now to begin to surrender and give God control. It's what Paul's saying. He's got a purpose for you. And when you start taking control of that purpose, then you probably are gonna get stuck in your faith journey. Third part of this is it says, this is the, the, the sweet part of the, our, heart, our heartbeat of, of the passage that everybody talks about. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, then Paul says, now because of that, because you've been saved from this sin, given a purpose, it's my act of love, you've been seated with Christ, it is by grace that you've been saved. And he's going to clarify in here what this isn't. He says, through faith. Not because of your faith, but through your faith. That means, in essence, Paul's saying, you set up this conduit, this pipe, if you will, but I'm going to let grace reign through your life. And when you begin to take courage to face the sinfulness of who you really are, of who we really are, when you begin to surrender your life and let him take control, man, that's, 
grace coming through your life, through your faith. This is not from yourselves. Again, Paul wants to make very clear, we like to think it's from us. And this is why we can get so hung up on radio programs and websites and Facebook about who's right and who's more right. You really think God in heaven is trying to grade us on rightness? The God that's giving us unmerited favor because of our wrongness. He had to give it to us so we don't get it ever right. He's waiting for us to recognize that it's not from us. It is a gift of God. Right when grace becomes something you earn, it's no longer grace. It's no longer a gift. Right when you think it's Jesus plus something. And that's why it's so difficult in churches all over the the country and especially here in Wisconsin, who many of you grew up in a traditional format that's not evil, but what it can be perceived as is shame and guilt and you're not doing enough. And friends, they're right. You aren't. None of us are. None of us are doing enough of anything to merit any of God's grace and forgiveness. But he gives it freely, and that's why it's a gift. If you never step foot into this room or to our church body ever again, I would have you, no matter where you go, whatever gathering you go to that celebrates the person of Christ, if it's bringing guilt that you're not doing enough, it's not the Jesus of grace. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. Because he's saying, I gave you unmerited favor called grace, and his name's Jesus, and you did nothing for it. Not by works so that no one could boast. Because I'm pretty competitive. Just want you to know that. I am. I'm very competitive. I think our girls were like three, four, five, and six or something, and I'd play Monopoly and I'd destroy them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would woo them into giving me Broadway and Park Place and saying, it's all over. And, you know, it was a learning lesson. I wanted to teach them about some things in life. <laughs> I think I know God put it in for me. Because I, I can't compare. I can't look at some of you who I know really well and say, I can't look to Jason and, and say, all right, Jason, because you're not doing these things, I'm a little bit better than you. I, I can't look to you in this room and, and start to measure. Because don't we do that? You look to your neighbors. And we've lost this, this ability to be able to bring that love and grace and see ourselves as the same. We become self-righteous. Convinced of one's own righteousness, especially in contrast with the action and beliefs of others. Narrow-minded morality. I mean, it doesn't relate to any of us, right? Man, watch the news enough. Watch, read your paper enough. And, and so many people, the social media, just are, they're up in arms about so many things. And listen, should we be a part of those things? Yes. Should we try to bring God's grace as he runs it through our lives in those places, yes. But we're no different. What makes us different is that we are recipients of Jesus, of grace. Therefore, to remove this kind of umbrella, this posture of protecting ourselves from receiving that grace, we've got to have humility. Not only are we to have courage to face our own sin, not only are we to be a, a, a culture that's surrendering so that we can receive that? We've got to be humble in the face of, of a world that needs to see people that are, are modeling humility 
of modeling that. And, and friends, there is more arrogance in church culture today, I think, than ever before. And it's pointing fingers about, again, who teaches right and who's doing it right. And truth be told, <laughs> meanwhile in heaven, they shake their heads and saying, hmm, if they could just focus on the grace if they could just get drenched with the reality of where they came and what they're receiving, might they look so differently upon one another? The last part of this is probably the most beautiful part of it, is verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. The word handiwork in the Greek is poema. It's where the Latin, I believe, and the French use the word and make the word poem. In other words, you and I, as we are recipients of this unmerited favor called grace in Jesus Christ, he writes into our lives. We're poems. You ever read a poem? And I know it's not necessarily like a guy thing to do often, but there are sometimes poems that are just amazing. They're magnificent. And they say everything you're trying to say, and it's very creative, and it's this expression of beauty and splendor. Do you know the Greek word for grace is charis? It's where they get the word charisma. And it means it, it, it gives off a splendor and a beauty. In other words, when we are recipients of grace, of this unmerited favor of Jesus Christ, we become a poem to the world. We become splendor to the world. In the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your struggle, we become this handiwork. Man, that is so freeing for me as a pastor because I don't have to muster up and strategize and figure out how to do all this. I just need to have courage to face my own darkness and sinful nature as a pastor. That I need to, I need to surrender to his control I need to humble myself before the Father and I can become this handiwork. And it says created in Christ to do what? Church once a week, then go home and go to work, save enough for retirement, right? It's good works. This is what the whole beginning video was. When you have been recipients of that grace, you can't help but spill out. You can't help but begin to, to be what Jesus is to us, to others. You can't help it. Therefore, it's not regulator like, I'm going to be a little, today's Sunday, God. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to crank up, you know, the Christian stuff. I'm going to be a little bit more patient getting out of the parking lot today. I'm going to maybe buy someone's lunch. Unmerited favor given to you called grace. Poured through your life, you can't help but just be it. In fact, you'll do it without even knowing it. You will be grace to people with not ever even recognizing that. What we do to block it is we become self-centered. And this is where the church does a really good job at this. And what I mean by that, I'm not bashing the bride of Christ. I'm saying our humanness and our sinful nature, I've often said to you and we laugh at it, it's kind of a, a funny phrase Saying church is easy, it's the people that are difficult. Well, that is the church, right? And it is us that are difficult, and we quickly become self-centered. Wait, what about us? What about our thing? 
And do you realize that in the, in the faith journey of a, of a believer, when they have received the fullness of grace, they have had the courage to face their own darkness, when they've surrendered their life, when they're humble, nothing's ever about them. There's never a focus about themselves. They're always about other people. Therefore, the church becomes more about what? Giving away to other people. Not about how nice we can make it for ourselves. And that is the struggle in the church today. J.I. Packer says it this way, there's nothing more irreligious than self-absorbed religion. And that, that's what churches can become quickly. And, and I would say we have that potential and have at times done that. And it's, it's a fight for us, again, to give God control, to surrender, to have humility, to, to open ourselves up to say, let's once again bring down those postures of protecting ourselves from this amazing grace and let it flow through us. And when we do that, the church is dangerous because it changes cities like Ephesus, some million, couple million people in two years. Friends, there's 120,000 people in Green Bay, quarter million, I think, in the whole county. You, you can change Green Bay. Green Bay could be completely flipped on its backside, completely a, a Christian community if grace received became a reality through a few. Could be. We have to become selfless. It's taking that down and realizing this is not about you and I. It's about Jesus. It's about grace. And we've been recipients of grace and we can't wait to give that away to others. The picture... In the beginning, I showed you as a bunch of adults, and it's funny the transformation that happens to us, right? And some of you kids in the room, kids in the room, when, when it rains and it pours, what's the first thing you want to go do? Let's get outside. I remember that. Growing up in California, we'd have rainstorms and floods, and don't tell any of our, our uh, don't call my, my school I went to, we would cover the drains because we wanted it to flood and get out of school because we wanted to be in the rain. I've confessed that already, so it's completely clear. <laughs> There's something so, probably as a parent, you're frustrated like watching kids just get soaked and drenched, yet if you're that kid, and many of you remember that, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than just that reckless abandon of going, I'm just going to get soaked and drenched. But what is it about us that quickly grows up and starts to put up the umbrellas? We do that with grace. You see, friends, when we sing songs, we've said this before, they're songs to those of you who have not received the grace. To those of us who have received grace, I can't help but sing. I can't help but have passion to open up my mouth and say about the wondrous grace that I've received. And it becomes worship to me. Those songs don't just become lyrics with some notes. They become for me as a man who I'm, I'm just as male as all you guys out there and tough and all that. But I recognize one day I'm going to stand before the creator of the universe. And I want to be able to say, I don't want him to say to me, were you embarrassed? to sing about my grace to you? 
I want to be that person in the rain saying, I, I do know him. I love Jesus. I need Jesus. I need him more than probably the men in Angola sitting in those prisons. And I, like Paul, will say, I'm the first in line as sinners. And that's what's so amazing. And it makes it, meanwhile in heaven, I can say, yes, grace can flow through me to forgive, to love, to do those things. Where does this all start? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by faith. So we have faith. We, we believe in the person of Christ. We believe what he's offering in grace. And so it is that faith becomes the conduit. But faith can't just stand alone. We just saw that in the video. And it's important that you recognize that. So I'm going to give you an illustration as Bobby comes up and sings a song about grace. So it starts with faith, but faith can't just be something you talk about and believe and sit in here on Sundays. It'd be like this. Let's just say your faith and the gift of grace is like God saying to each one of you, listen, I've given you, I've given you land and beauty in, in a, a scenic view that you can't even fully comprehend and you will never be able to fully see it all in not just one lifetime but a million lifetimes. I've given it all to you. And it starts and I've given you this cabin set on a hill and there it is. Boom, and you've been plopped right in there. And that's your faith journey. It starts. And you believe in him and you said, yes, I'm in this cabin. But all you do, let's say all you do in your faith is you just start looking out the window going, wow, that's pretty amazing. You might even hit the other window and maybe open up the door but just go, wow. No, faith means, you know what, I'm going to take a little bit of walk out in the yard. And you start to walk. And you find yourself getting late and you've walked through streams and you've walked in valleys and pastures and you're going, oh my goodness, this is magnificent. Let's say you come back to the cabin though and you're motivated and you say, you know what, I'm going to pack a two-day pack and I'm going to walk. And you do walk further and you see cascading mountains and you're starting to recognize the immensity of the grace that God's given you, this gift he's given you. So you come back and say, I'm packing a week-long pack because i got to see more of it. I'm addicted to seeing the wonder and drinking in the fullness of what he's offered me. Friends, that's faith. If your faith this morning sits in a cabin saying yes, thank you, God, but all you do look out the window, that's not faith. It is beginning to have arms and feet that begin to walk out in this wondrous place that God's called us to. And this morning, if you want that grace, you've got to get out of the cabin. I want to pray for us this morning, and Bobby's going to sing a song again with some lyrics. For some, read the lyrics, but for some, it's going to be worship. You're going to be caught up in it. Read them, listen to them, maybe sing them. But as you go to the cross this morning, might you be called out of the cabin to receive the reign of unmerited grace in your life. Father, we thank you this morning for grace that it cost us nothing. But God, we thank you that it cost uh, everything for you. And Lord, yet, what a great picture of love. God, might we this morning not be handlers of cheap grace, but grace that overwhelms us.
As we go to the table and look at bread and cup, Father, represent a son sacrificed for us. God, might we begin to venture out of this cabin and just drink in the rain of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.